Section two of a short history of France by Mary Duclos. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Pamela Nagami. Part one, chapter two, the Gallo Romans, Bordeaux. When the Romans burst in their order and their splendor into Gaul, they found before them a people not savage indeed, but individualized to the verge of incoherence. The Gauls were brave soldiers to a man and at every age as ammianus puts it but they were undisciplined and disunited the romans were at least as brave very hard dour and persevering fighters and they were admirably organized therefore in the space of eight years julius caesar conquered gaul and on their new possessions the romans imposed the system of their culture so profoundly that to-day the french remain a latin nation as conspicuously as they are a celto-frankish race the roman system of conquest differed from that of most of the peoples of antiquity it ennobled rather than humiliated rome imposed her rule on the vanquished she neither enslaved nor exterminated her armies overwhelmed the country like a fertilizing tide and then retired to rome leaving behind them her social organization her municipal system her culture and her language in exchange she accorded to the towns included in her empire the rights of roman citizenship the gallo-roman cities sent delegates to the metropolis who voted there on questions of war and state and empire on the same terms as other roman citizens while in gaul each town preserved a certain measure of home rule choosing its own religious worship ordaining its priests and regulating its ceremonies electing its civic magistrates administering its own estates and revenues and deciding all questions of purely local interest if in any respect the towns outran their due limits rome proceeded with vigour as against the christians of lyon in eighty one seventy seven but her system was to prefer an occasional persecution in punishment of an excess to any sequence of preventive measures after some ineffectual revolts and revolutions the gauls yielded to the prestige of the universal city with every generation they admired her more wholeheartedly and by the fourth century most of them could say with osonius romam colo rome is my religion and indeed rome had done much for gaul from treves in the north to bordeaux in the south and the magnificent villas of the mediterranean sea her rough military towns her homely farms and fields had been changed into marvellous gardens into cities with aqueducts and amphitheatres and temples no less splendid or lovely than those of rome herself and all this with no rude displacing of beloved landmarks take for example autun the druid's town romans made of it a great centre of their civilization the school of rhetoric of autun was reckoned to furnish the most brilliant orators of the empire its monuments were beautiful but the old faith was not ousted or treated with contempt the grandfather of the poet osonius was a druid and in the middle of the fourth century discoursed of the secrets of the stars 
and delivered justice according to the ancient Celtic rites. Walking in the streets of Autun, the good man might encounter the augurs of Mercury, or some deacon from the Christian church established in the town since the first decades of the Christian era. They were all citizens of the empire and equals. It is difficult for us to form an idea of life in the Roman Empire, such an immense federation of peoples associated in an enchantment of material prosperity. Peace and power spread out such mighty wings that the races of the earth were harbored under them, and the national idea seemed abolished. The Greeks of Marseilles, the large Syrian colonies of Lyon, the great industrial city on the Rhone, were as much at home in Gaul as the Romans or the Celts themselves. The conquered nations felt no barrier between them and supremacy. Were not the emperors Vespasian and Titus of Gaulish origin? If, for example, we glance for an instant at the genealogy of that druid of Autun, we perceive how rapid was the ascension of a man of talent, and how far-reaching the attraction of Rome. Caecilius Arbor himself had been an unsuccessful person. A noble druid, compromised in the revolt of Victorinus, he fled from Autun to Aquitaine in the concluding years of the third century, and in his new home at Bordeaux found his Celtic lore and druid philosophy of such scant account that in order to earn his children's bread, he was obliged to practice more remunerative accomplishments, such as fortune-telling and astrology. It is probable that Caecilius Arbor was never quite at home in that splendid Gallo-Roman Bordeaux, nor did he express himself easily in Latin, but used in his home circle some Celtic dialect, and considered Greek the natural language of philosophy. His son, however, Aemilius Magnus Arbor, professor of rhetoric at the University of Bordeaux, was the glory of the bar of Toulouse, and one of the great Latin orators of his time. The men of Gaul were famous for their eloquence. The echo of Aemilius Arbor's gift spread through the empire, till at Constantinople the emperor heard of him, and sent for the Gaulish barrister to educate his son. Meanwhile, Aemilius's sister had married a young doctor of Bordeaux, one Julius Osonius, a specialist in rheumatic diseases. Their son, Decimus Magnus Osonius, was the Latin poet, dear to all who have a secret attachment to minor verse. But for the case in point, it is more important that Osonius, the Druid's grandson, should have been the governor of the Emperor Gratian, a count of the empire, first consul of the year 379, prefect of Africa, prefect of Italy, and prefect of the Gauls. Thanks to Osonius, who, born in 309, lived till the closing years of the fourth century, thanks to the excellent descriptive poet and letter-writer, we can form a living idea of what Gaul looked like under the emperors Constantine, Valentinian, and Gratian. Even more than other ages, that age was a period of transition. The Roman Empire reigned supreme on the solid Roman roads that ran from Bordeaux, for example, to Paris, to Treves, to Spain, to Rome, and with a marine interval, to Jerusalem. 
the carriages and horses of gaul were far renowned there was a mail post in fact the service of the road was far better than it was in the middle ages and much as it existed at the date of the invention of railroads for the men of the roman empire were no stay-at-homes they were continually upon their beautiful roads soldiers officials or travellers as you approach the towns there too the magnificence of rome was apparent in its state villas whose vast constructions faced by flowery porticoes and peristyles crowned terraced gardens where fountains played and statues gleamed among the greenery there were noble monuments baths theatres temples among the farming villages there stood some modest christian church the grandson of Osonius, Paulinus of Pella, gives us an excellent idea of a country house in Gaul at the end of the fourth century. All that I asked in my youth, says he, was a comfortable mediocrity. For instance, a commodious villa with a double set of apartments disposed to the south for use in winter and open to the north for summer time. A well furnished table, many slaves, and in the flower of their youth furniture of all sorts in great profusion silver plate more precious for its workmanship than for its weight among the staff of servants artists of several sorts quick to execute my fancies and devices good stables full of horses and carriages of various sorts for driving paulinus says nothing of his library but we know that Osonius, his grandfather, was rich both in books and in instruments of music. But as the traveller neared the towns of Gaul, all this antique state and space and splendour shrank and changed. The cities of the reign of Constantine were the narrow, stifling cities of the early Middle Ages. For already the barbarians had begun their inroads the beautiful open cities of antiquity spread largely on the plain with spacious streets interspersed with gardens with colossal temples baths porticoes amphitheatres were things of yesterday many of these monuments still existed since some of these remain to-day but outside the city walls scattered among the vineyards and the towns themselves had shrunken into fortresses with large encircling walls garnished with towers. The towers of Bordeaux, said Osonius, pierced the clouds. The port was rich and busy, doing already a large trade in wine with England. The university was no less brilliant than it is today. Osonius has left an agreeable gallery of portraits of the professors. But Bordeaux was no longer pleasant as a residential place it had sadly fallen off from the antique enchantment the exquisite urbanity of the grandeur that was rome the roman gaul of constantine and valentinian and their successors with the barbarian at the gates was already full of the promise of the middle ages the attempt of julian to bring back the ancient gods had failed though the landed nobility still clung to his device they cling to it to-day with a difference, and rally to the cry, Ta patria ethe, tus patrius nomus, tan patrian theon. They indeed were full of fidelity and faith to the traditions, the laws, and the religion of their forefathers. They were soldiers, believers, 
but on all sides the christian ideas were acting as a ferment transforming society now in the eyes of the gallo-roman nobles no christian could be a patriot for the soul of patriotism was to these men of yesterday the great cultus of rome and of augustus which seemed to them the very cement that built and welded gallic unity yet with the barbarian at the gates the christians preached pacifism non-resistance they were indeed a peril in the state more dangerous than men of violence at least the ultra-christians the party of the saints those who like paulinus of nola besought their friends to desert in face of the enemy and to give themselves up to the salvation of their souls there were many such men who would not wear a sword or an arrow cut on the onyx of their ring men who said we cannot serve two masters and who left the army as a necessary consequence of their baptism men of whom seeing the danger of the empire we instinctively disapprove until we remember that since then they have all been canonized that they are called paulinus of pella paulinus of nola sulpicius severus saint martin of tours tertullian saint ambrose saint augustine all of them stand now in the ranks of the orthodox with them and not with the roman centurions and senators lay the future of europe the insidious dissolving element of saintly enthusiasm was doubtless one cause of the final undoing of the roman empire which seemed as indestructible as its own monuments yet crumbled at a shock another cause has already been indicated at the opening of this chapter it was the complete divorce between local and imperial affairs political life and municipal life had nothing to do with each other although the cities of the provinces were extraordinarily free and prosperous they had no voice in the administration of the empire rome alone governed rome rome sucked from all her subject countries and drew to her own centre the men of brain and will and energy who could serve her aims absorbed them estranged them from their origins but the mass left behind in the great provincial towns though it flourished happily and busily for its humbler ends and objects was from the point of view of the empire non-existent rome had but one head and when that front was struck insensibility and inertia spread throughout the vast body of the empire or to change our metaphor these towns so solidly constituted so separate these rich municipalities are like round strong beads strung on a slender thread the fibre snaps and the beads in no wise destroyed roll hither and thither but form no longer a necklace in the gradual disaggregation of the roman empire a quantity of little centres usurp the place of rome milan sirmium treves arles paris vienne lyon but they are local centres they have no imperial sense little by little the one real vital force that was left takes on more and more importance the bishop becomes the natural chief of the inhabitants and more than their mayor his election is the great affair of the city 
what still is left intact of the great roman order is rescued and preserved by the clergy between the municipal system of the romans and the municipal system of the medieval communes the church in the city guards and maintains a great tradition End of section two